Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We'll read verses 26 through 56. Luke 1, 26. Hear the Word of God. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days, and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice, and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. 
He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He hath sent empty away. He hath opened His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Thus far the reading of sacred scripture. Dear church family, Luke 1 has rightly been called the Advent chapter of the Bible because there's so many details in it that stand on the threshold, on the cusp of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. But Luke 1 can also be called a kind of post-communion chapter, particularly as it unveils the faith of Mary in this uh, amazing testimony of her response to the angelic visit. And so in a way, this section in Luke 1 about Mary serves as a beautiful combination of a post-communion message and an Advent message rolled into one. And I want to show you how that's so. Tonight, uh, we'll look particularly at verses 38 through 50. Most of those verses we'll look at, so I won't read them again now. But we want to look at it under the theme of our calling after communion. Our calling after communion. And we're going to see five things we're, we're called to. Preparation, trust, submission, obedience, and humility. All five exemplified by Mary's Advent faith. Now, Mary is a remarkable believer in the New Testament, the mother of our Lord, who sets a pattern for faithfulness. We honor her as Protestants, not because she was sinless, because she wasn't, but because of how she responded to God's call in her life. So we honor her as much as we would honor uh, Moses or Samuel or John, others who responded to God's particular call in their lives. So Mary does the same thing in the portion of Scripture we read tonight and in our text particular. Particularly, she responds with all these characteristics of obedience and submission and trust and joy as the people of God throughout all ages have responded to God's call when God gives them the grace to do so. So everything we're going to talk about tonight is really the grace of the Holy Spirit operative in Mary just as He operates in you, dear believer, still today. And in that operation of the Spirit, both a sense of calling and a sense of the second advent 
come together still today in our lives as we long for Christ to come again, but meanwhile, go about our Father's business, seeking to do His will, seeking to live out our callings uh, post-communion, so that we realize after each Lord's Supper, it's not done when we leave on Sunday evening, but it's been renewed and strengthened so that we can go out and live the way we are called to live, worthy of the vocation to which we are called. Now Mary had a unique calling, of course, that no other woman or man ever had to be the bearer of the incarnate Son of God. No one will have that exact calling. But every believer will have their own calling. Every believer, post-communion, is called to go out and show these qualities that Mary showed. We are to respond to God's grace in communion by living out of that grace in our daily lives. So five responses. Number one is preparation. We need to be prepared for whatever God will send our way. It's three months, God willing, till next communion. Those three months periods between communions are are little chunks of our lives in which we're called to live out of the strength we receive from the past communion. We're called to live out our lives by faith from the word and sacrament that we the word we hear every week of course and the sacrament that we receive every three months. And that means that we are always to be preparing preparing to live according to the particular callings in which God sets upon our shoulders and upon our hearts. If you, for example, are, feel called to be a missionary to China, let's just say, well, you need to prepare yourself in some way, don't you? You need to learn the language, for one thing, and the culture, for another Or if you believe God is calling you to be an elder one day in the church of Jesus Christ, you should begin studying what the Scripture has to say about elders and begin reading books that throw light on the eldership. Or if God's called you to be an electrical engineer, you're going to look for a good uh, university or college program and, and apply for it. Or any calling calling to be a mother, calling to be an artist, calling to be a wife. You're, you surround yourself with people who can give you advice or teach you, prepare yourself for these callings, to exercise the gifts that God has given you. This is just common sense. We need to prepare for our callings. And that's true of the Christian calling as well, and any particular calling that God sets before us in our lives, be it a profession, uh, be it a a state of marriage or uh, motherhood, fatherhood. What happens, you see, if God calls you to something, you're not just passive. We're not just to be passive post-communion and say, well, we received grace. Now we don't need to return it to the Lord. No, we need to return it. And one way we need to return it is by being prepared for whatever God calls us to. 
Now, what happens if you're like Mary and God calls you to something that you never dreamed of or you never thought of? Well, that makes the calling maybe a bit tougher in some ways. It's relatively easy to prepare for specific callings you know you're called to. But you need to be open. You and I need to be open that God will call us in ways to particular tasks in our lives, like He did Mary, that we never expected. Sometimes in life we think everything's going to go smoothly in our lives and everything's going to be happy. But God may call us to suffering. God may call us to endure a broken relationship. God may call us to some profession that we never dreamed of. He may call you a college graduate in one area to, to an occupation totally different than what you ever anticipated. Mary shows us what to do in these kinds of situations. You see, Mary was actually preparing to be a wife. She was espoused to Joseph. But suddenly, God puts on her this amazing calling of bearing the Messiah. It's incredible. So how was Mary being prepared? How was she preparing herself? Well, in two ways. At least two ways. Let me mention just two. Number one, Mary was preparing herself by filling her mind, her heart, her soul, with the Word of God. Let me repeat that. It's a very important one. Mary was filling her mind and her inmost being with the Word of God. You can see that in, in this Magnificat song, as it's often called, which comes from the word magnify, by the way. I'm going to magnify the Lord. It's, a, it's her opening word in the song. It's a song of praise. In this little song, short song, she quotes Psalm 34, Psalm 71, 95, 98, 103, 111, and 138. And she quotes Genesis, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Micah, and Habakkuk. And this is a poor virgin teenage girl. How in the world did she know the Scriptures so well? Well, she was obviously studying the Bible. She was obviously being prepared by the Holy Spirit for her, for her great calling by being saturated with and marinating in the Holy Scriptures. Through Mary's veins ran the royal blood of David. And that blood was Bibline. And so this Magnificat, which, was the, which is the only long statement Mary makes in the entire New Testament, opens a window into Mary's soul. It shows us the nature of this word-saturated, God-fearing young woman whom the Spirit was preparing to carry in her womb, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what I'm saying here, and I want you to draw the line between the two dots now, between Mary's life and your life, is that being filled with the Word of God, knowing the Word, living 
in conjunction with the Word, seeking to live out the Word, seeking to live by the Word, in the Word, through the Word, memorizing the Word, searching the Word, loving the Word, living the Word, that is your very best preparation for every calling in life and every trial. Whatever the Lord has in store for you for the next three months, be in the Word. That's your best preparation. That's why Mary wasn't completely overwhelmed when she received this amazing calling, which many people would judge her for, no doubt, that she was pregnant illegitimately. But she was able to rest on the Word of God, the Word of the angel that came to her, because she had been living a life in which she was resting in the Word of the Old Testament. You get, you get the point, don't you? When you learn to rest daily in the Word, you will be pre- more prepared. I won't say that you won't be shaken by some surprise. I won't be say that you won't have some ups and downs, especially if they're heavy afflictions. But you'll be more prepared to bear what God calls you to bear when you've been drinking deeply from the Word of God. That's how Mary was being prepared. John Kelvin says it so well. By these words, Mary shows that the covenant God made with the fathers was of free grace, for she traces the salvation of her soul and others to the fountain of unmixed mercy in her Magnificat. Hence we infer she was well acquainted with the doctrines of the Scripture. The expectation of Messiah was general, but few had their faith established on so pure a knowledge of Scripture as Mary. You want to be prepared for what God sends your way? Be filled with love for the Word of God and seek to know the Word of God. That will also help you for unforeseen trials. We don't know what the next three months will bring, do we? Before the next Lord's Supper. Some of us could die. Some of us could get cancer. Some of us could have heart attacks or strokes. We don't know. Are we prepared for the hard things of life? But also, are we prepared for the good things of life? Maybe God has job transfers in mind for some of us, some of you, that you never anticipated. Maybe some doors will go open for you that you you just couldn't imagine. You see, the best way to be prepared is to be in the Word. Have your mind be Word-oriented. But secondly, Mary doesn't only fill herself with the Word of God. She's prepared by the Word of God for the Spirit's calling in that she's prepared for suffering and prepared to deny herself for that suffering. Now, we've all heard the statement, the be careful what you wish for, you might just get it. This is a kind of modern proverb that sometimes contains truth, not always. But we often get more than we expect, don't we? Isn't that true in life? We get more than we bargain for. But the same thing happens in the spiritual realm at times. 
When God calls us, we often get more than we bargain for. We receive wonderful blessings beyond what we imagine, but also mixed with heavy burdens beyond what we imagine. I'm just speaking with one of our members last night who's been sorely afflicted for, for quite some time. And I, before I went to pray, this young man said to me, uh, there's one thing I want to tell you, though. Though this has been a trial for, for quite a while now, I want to tell you, it's been very good for my soul. Very good for my soul. That's, a, that's like music in a pastor's ears, by the way. You see, that's the way it should be. Obviously, God was preparing this young man, don't you think, through trial to grow. This is what God does over and over again in the Bible. Think of Joseph. He's called to deliver Israel. (laughs) And meanwhile, he's sold by his own brothers and was falsely accused of adultery and then thrown in prison and forgotten. But it was all for good. I think of Job. What trials that man went through. Lost everything, you would say. But Jesus brought everything back. Restored everything. And blessed him. So he could say, even in the midst of trial, before the things were restored, I know that my Redeemer liveth. You see, when the Spirit calls us, even in good and happy callings and in door-opening callings, it usually doesn't go without some suffering. Because we need suffering in our lives to really prosper. And Mary's life is a paradigm of this truth. She found favor with God, verse 30 says. She receives an unprecedented calling, a joyful calling. All generations shall call me blessed, she says. What an amazing calling. All the women of Israel wanted to be the bearer of the Messiah. And only Mary got it. Wow. What an amazing blessing. But there were burdens with it. She'd be despised. She'd be judged. She was an unwed, poor, pregnant teenager. That's a burden by itself. Though she retained favor in God's eyes, Joseph was seeking to annul their engagement. She became a fugitive, having to run to Egypt from Herod with her boy Jesus. And the greatest burden, to stand at the cross and see your son crucified. A sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. The sword of the cross of Christ. John Calvin writes on this verse, Though her faith was agitated and tormented by various temptations, yet her sorest battle was with the cross. She was not overwhelmed with grief because she was established in the promises of God, but it would have required a heart of stone for her not to be deeply wounded, for she had lost a child, and a special child at that. A sword pierced her own soul. Now we're well aware that some of us, and even some recently, have lost a child. It's the greatest, perhaps, of all human burdens that only God can help you carry. 
It's a wound that only Christ can heal. But there is this solace, you see, that Jesus is not callous, even to this greatest of pains. On the cross, as he stood there delivering humanity, he looked at his grieving mother, knowing her heart as she was losing her son in the flesh. And he entrusted her to John, saying, Behold thy son, and then behold thy mother. The Bible says so beautifully that she went to live with John from that moment on. Jesus knows your pain. He knew the pain of Mary, what she was losing. He understood. And he had Mary understand that God's callings are often a mix of blessing and burden. And the same will be true for us today. God continues to do that. For God's people, there's no sacrifice, no self-death, no self-denial that is not a calling, a calling from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to make us willing to embrace those callings. And how hard that can be for the flesh. Jonah, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, but God made him embrace that calling. He tried to run away. He delivered the shortest sermon in history, and God blessed it to the repentance of a people. Moses had to go to the backside of the desert. You see, we often dramatize God's callings as some kind of glorious success story. But beware, you often get more than you bargain for when God calls you, don't you? He's going to call you in the calling to sacrifice. He's going to call you to a high and lofty task, perhaps. Maybe He's going to call you to care for, for dying parents. Or perhaps a challenging or dying patient if you're a nurse. Or maybe He's going to call you to Move to some place where you really don't at first want to go. God bids His people to come, to obey His calling, and then to die. To die to your own righteousness. To die to your own will. This is how Mary was prepared. And this is how we must be prepared. Through understanding that blessing and burden often go together. For the glory of God, the maturation of our souls, and the good of those around us. Number two, trust. Trust. When God calls, we must be believing. We must be trusting. You see, many people, many people who have been called by God, particularly called by God to do certain things, or be a certain way, or follow a certain calling. Have trusted in God throughout the ages, even though others have rebuked them, like, like they rebuked Mary, being pregnant now without being married, without being married. They didn't understand it, of course, that it was a legitimate child. But often when we follow God's calling, not everybody will understand. In the spiritual realm, Mary is such an example here. She just believed. She just trusted. It's amazing. We, we read it, didn't we? Um, when the angel gives this entire message, and then Mary just says, well, how, how can it be? And the angel basically says, well, you're going to be conceived in your womb by, the child's going to be conceived by the Holy Ghost. And what does she say? 
Behold the handmaid of the Lord. No, no more questions. What about this Lord? What about that? What shall I say to these people when they say this? Behold the handmaid of the Lord. She just believes. And in Luke 1, she's a contrast, isn't she? She's a contrast with Zechariah, the priest who sees the promise of John the Baptist. And, uh, and, and Luke juxtaposes the, the, the faith and the unbelief, the faith of Mary and the unbelief of Zechariah here. And it's an interesting juxtaposition because Zechariah is the old, supposedly mature priest, the wise, respected priest, part of the privileged spiritual class of the day. And Mary is a young, unmarried uh, girl, teenager, from the line of David, a nobody on the other side of the spectrum. And they both ask questions. But Mary asks her question out of faith. Zechariah asks his question out of unbelief. Zechariah says, verse 18, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is well stricken in years. And the angel is so angry that he closes Zechariah's mouth. Because he, he's responding in unbelief. He's not embracing the calling of God upon him and upon Elizabeth. Zechariah would not trust, would not believe. Mary asks a question, not out of unbelief, but out of bewilderment. How should this be? But as soon as she gets an answer, she believes. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. And you know that she believes, because later on in verse 45, Elizabeth says exactly that. When Mary comes to visit her, she says, Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So you see, this just, just, just the juxtaposition ends up in a tremendous contrast with Zechariah not able to say one word and Mary breaking forth in one of the most famous psalms of praise ever uttered called throughout all of history the Magnificat. The one who should have believed, the covenant theologian, the priest, did not believe. And here's Mary, the one who had every reason not to believe, humanly speaking, and she does believe and she does trust. So what I'm saying to you tonight is when we leave communion and we really understand what Christ has done for us in word and sacrament, hailing back to the cross, hailing back all the way to eternity past when He agreed to do all this, and then hailing forward to His second advent and to what will happen on the day of judgment and what will happen in everlasting glory, when we really grasp that, you see, our calling is be not faithless but believing. Be not faithless but believing. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 is all about the hall of fame for the believing. Think about how many significant leaps forward in redemptive history there were by people who believed their callings that seemed impossible for them at the time. There's Noah for a hundred some years slaving away on the ark, people mocking with him, but he believes the impossible. And it happens. 
There's Abraham, leaving everything behind, called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeying, and went out not knowing whither he went. His father is an idol maker. And he's going to be the father of all the faithful. God is a God of impossibilities. You see, communion calls us to be people of faith, people of trust, people who believe that God has purposes for this church, purposes for your family, purposes for you yourself, callings to set upon you, to go out and witness for Him. We said as a mission statement for this church, didn't we? By the Spirit's grace, we are to be discipling believers in Christ and evangelizing unbelievers for God's glory. Are we doing that? Are we going out and believing our mission statement? And acting upon it? Believing that God can do the impossible? This afternoon, my wife tells me there were only 11 children at our Sunday afternoon Sunday school. What are we going to do? Are we going to sit down in despair and say, only 11? Oh, we lost so much through this whole COVID process. How, is it worth it to go on? That's unbelief, you see. Faith says there were 11 children. It could be that one of them were saved this afternoon. Let us plot on. Let us pray that God would bring more in. Let us pray that God would do wondrous things through the Sunday school program. Let us evangelize unbelievers. Disciple believers in Christ. Do we truly believe, you see, that God can do great things through preaching from this pulpit, through our seminary, through Grace Christian Academy and, and, and Christian schools, that God can do great things through our Sunday school neighborhood outreach, through our prayer meetings? God is able. Are we believing? Thirdly, Submission. Submission. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, and we understand that Jesus is covenanting with us, and we are to covenant ourselves back unto Him, which is one of the great purposes of the sacrament, what we do when we leave the table is we're actually laying down our lives for Him, and we're saying, Lord, use me however Thou wilt. I will be submissive to Thy will. I will be submissive to thy will. And that's exactly what Mary did. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. The word handmaid there, doule in Greek, is a female slave. Just willing to do whatever the Lord bids. Let him do with me whatever he sees fit. That's what she's saying. Even if he slays me, yet will I trust in him. Mary's teaching us here how to acquiesce to the will of God. Notice what she says. Behold. That expresses the offer of her entire being. The depths of her confession. It's like, J- like Abraham. When God came to him to sacrifice his son. Behold. Here I am. Behold. I'm just the handmaid. I'm just the female slave of thee, Lord. Do with me what seemeth good in thy sight. Then she says, Behold, I'm a handmaid of the Lord. Of is in the possessive tense. And the Lord means possessor. Curios, my master, my possessor. 
One commentator says of this, she's Jehovah's willing property for him to use as he and his covenant grace and pleasures desires. She's willing to risk her reputation, her entire life, for the Lord in his will. See, this is the amazing thing about faith. And no man can give this to you. Only God can give this to you. Is that even when God's will seems to be negative, even when God's will seems to be a will of suffering, faith believes that God's will is always best. Faith entrusts its life into God's hands and trusts Him more than it trusts my own desire and ability to be behind the driver's wheel. I turn the reins of my life into the hands of God. And it's so beautiful to be there. Would to God we could always be there. But it's submission. It's submission. No matter what happens to me. This is a submission of of Daniel's three friends in the furnace, right? Be it known, O king, our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But if not, if he doesn't, be it known unto thee, O king, we still will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Have you ever acquiesced to the will of God so fully that God could do with you what He would? Now to be thine, says a poet, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come. Oh, the sweetness of total surrender to a totally fitting, glorious, merciful, kind, sovereign Savior. Despite all the risks attached, despite all the sense of failure attached, despite all the risk of embarrassing humiliation attached, despite all the risk to my health attached, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Bishop Paul said it so well, all disputations with God after His will is known arise from our infidelity. What a statement. All disputations with God after His will is known arise from our infidelity. There's not a more noble proof of faith than to captivate all the powers of our understanding and will to our Creator and without all questionings to go blinded whether whither He will lead us. Oh, may God give us that grace post-communion of sweet submission. Number four, obedience. Obedience to the Word of God. Be it unto me according to thy word. Mary just wanted to live her life in obedience with God's Word. The angel came, told her what was going to happen to her. She bows in submission, but she also goes forward in unconditional obedience. The word here that's used, may it be, is literally could be translated, let it happen to me now. Let it happen to me now. I don't need to have more questions answered. I trust thee more than myself. So let it happen to me now. Whatever thy will is, I will obey. And then the word according is actually the Greek word kata, which can mean in exact accord. Let it happen to me now precisely according to thy will. At thy exact time and exactly in accord with thy word, Lord, thou canst do me no wrong. Thy will is always best. 
Do, Lord, for thy handmaid is willing. I read in Samuel, obedience is better than sacrifice. God loves unconditional obedience to his will. Unconditional obedience is greater than our notions of personal satisfaction, self-development, and self-fulfillment. You see, you don't really find self-fulfillment by pursuing self-fulfillment so much as you find it by pursuing obedience. In the last analysis in our lives, as believers, it is on the path of obedience that we find our fulfillment. And on that path, we learn that God's will may not coincide with our notions of my personal development, my personal ten-year goals, my personal aspirations. Mary is conscious of all this, implicitly. She's conscious that the one thing that mattered in her life was obedience. An obedience which, humanly speaking, would ruin her life. Or so she thought. And yet she says, Be it unto me according to thy word. It's as if she said, Lord, may thy words to me which I do not fully understand and words which so far as I understand them are challenging words. Let them be fulfilled. May I quote Calvin once more? It's so beautiful what he writes here. The Holy Virgin does not allow herself to dispute any farther. She stops the entrance of all opposing arguments. She compels herself to obey. This is the real proof of faith. When we restrain our minds and their imaginations, and as it were, we hold our own minds captive so that they dare not reply this or that against God. For boldness in disputing is the mother of unbelief. Faith flies to God. Unbelief makes us rebels and deserters. By nature, We wander from God. But faith presents us before God that we may be ready to yield Him obedience. So my point is this. Post-communion, we need to lay down before God and say, Lord, I'm willing to be used. Show me the way to be, show me the way to walk. Show me the way that thou wouldst have me to go. Teach me thy ways. Make plain my paths. I will go that way. I am willing to be used. I'm willing to bow my life in obedience to thee. I'm willing to give back to thee my life that thou hast redeemed by giving thy son for me. He's come and he's died for me. Lord, I want, I want to live for thee. And if Jesus has shed His blood that you could be saved, He's given everything He had to die for you, can't we at least live for Him? You see, it's a beautifully passive grace. This is not something in which Mary took the initiative over which Mary had control. It wasn't her personal vision in life. She didn't expect this. But God came and said, this is what I'm going to do with you, Mary. It's God's vision. Not Mary's vision that ultimately matters. And it's our obedience that matters in relationship to that vision. Yes, we may plan. God may frustrate our plans. Or He may honor those plans. But one thing is sure. When those plans bring God His due glory, we learn to say as believers... Ultimately, these were God's plans, God's way. God put the vision in my mind or whatever. 
But it was God's plan. God gets the credit. God gets the glory. It's not Mary's wisdom, not Mary's imagination that produced a Savior for the world. Not even her faith or courage produced a Savior. It is God's will, God's implementation. The Holy Spirit overshadows her. You see, God breaks our dreams to replace them with His majestic will. And it's as He does so, and as He bends our will to conform to His, that we learn to unconditionally obey Him. And that means we must learn by His Spirit to agree with the Word of God, to guide our desires by the Word of God, to ground our expectations upon the Word of God, to place our amen behind the Word of God. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to Thy will. And then finally, number five, humility. Humility. Look at verse 49. It's so, it's so beautiful. He's, first she says, my, my soul doth magnify the Lord, back in verse 46. But then she says in verse 49, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. She understands. This is all God. It is all sheer, sovereign, discriminating, life-creating grace that fell upon her. And that she's nothing in herself. She understands in her Magnificat that people have been waiting for centuries for this day to happen. She understands that in every generation, people have been speculating, when would the day come when the Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent? And now the time is coming, and Mary is the instrument through which it will come. Is she going to boast? Is she going to be proud? No, my soul doth magnify the Lord. She's humble. And God enters our lives and makes us willing to unconditionally obey Him. Humility is always one of the fruits. He always gets all the glory. We recede into the background and God comes into the foreground. A man said one old Puritan divine, a man has just as much Christianity as he has humility. My soul magnifies the Lord. Do you know what that means? Did you taste something of that this morning at the table? Who am I? Who am I that my Savior would not only save me, but guide me, protect me, use me, call me, It's amazing that God would use the likes of you and me in His kingdom. That God would bring you the preached word through sinful men and not through holy, perfect angels. That God would call you to callings in your daily life, sacred callings, like being a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or a worker, to be placed in some business for His glory, to be a Christian witness. When deep inside of us, we've got such sinful hearts in ourselves. It ought to be enough to humble all of us. No, no, all this exaltation of Mary that the Roman Catholic Church engages in 
is so terribly wrong. So terribly wrong. Mary would have detested it. She says in verse 47, My soul hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. You can't have a Savior without being a sinner. There's nothing here about a perpetual sinless existence in Mary. As Rome says, there never was a day when Mary didn't end it just like we ended. Forgive me, Lord, for the sins of this day. There's no trace in the Bible of her perpetual virginity after marrying Joseph. There's nothing about a bodily assumption into heaven in the whole New Testament. It's all made up by man, by popes. There's nothing here that would endorse a role for Mary as the co-redemptress of the people of God. There's no reason for any generation of Christians to call her blessed for any of these fancied imaginations, for those qualities that did not exist in her. No, she sees herself as a sinner, a humble sinner, following in the line of Adam and having within herself fallen humanity, a need for a Savior. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's really what the Magnificat is saying. I rejoice in God, my Savior, the one whom I'm going to be carrying. I rejoice in Him because He will save me. My Son will be my Lord, my God, my Savior. In fact, the only way, the only way that Mary could live in these five ways, the only way she could show anything of these five graces of preparation, trust, submission, obedience, and humility is because of Christ. It's because He responded to His call perfectly from His Father. It's because He was always going about doing His Father's business. Because He never failed once, never sinned once, was absolutely perfectly obedient even unto death that Mary can receive some of that obedience of Christ so that she might obey the Lord in response to His obedience. And so Mary has to learn like we all have to learn. Without me, Jesus said, John 15, without me ye can do nothing. But by my God, I can run through a troop and jump over a wall because of Christ. And so if you're a Christian sitting here tonight, you have a great calling. You have a calling of preparation. You have a calling to trust. You have a calling to submit, a calling to obey, and a calling to be humble, to stay humble, remembering that Jesus Christ receives all the honor and all the glory. And if you're not a Christian sitting here tonight, and Christ is not your number one, Christ is not your life, Christ is not your love, your Savior, your Lord, your treasure, You've got no real advent. You've got nothing really to look forward to until you're in Him, until you repent and believe the gospel. In fact, you're on your way to destruction. You're on your way to death without being prepared to die. You're on your way to self-destruction. But it doesn't have to be that way. He says... Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest in myself, that is, the Lord of glory. 
Jesus is able to save you. Jesus is willing to save you. Jesus is almighty to save you. Bow before him and cry out, Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Amen. Gracious God, we thank thee so much for the fruits that the gospel brings. Thank thee so much for post-communion fruits that thou canst work in thy people like Mary. And we pray, Lord, that as we leave this place tonight and go out into our work week, that we'll take these five words with us and meditate on them and ask for grace to, to implement them like Mary, to, to be prepared, to be trusting, to be submissive, to be obedient, and, and to be humble, all out of Jesus. O Lord Jesus, Thou hast said, By their fruits ye shall know them. Please work those fruits in our lives and forgive us, forgive us for all our self-willed religion, all our self-willed kicking against the pricks, all our lack of submission to Thee. Lord, how often we, we resist what Thou dost put in our pathway and our spiritual life suffers when we become bitter and uh, disappointed with Thee or with others or with Thy ways. And uh, so often, Lord, we, we damage our own spiritual life by our discontentment. Give us the rare jewel of Christian contentment that we would rest in Thy will and even embrace the pain of that will, knowing it is Thine and knowing that our Father knows best. Help us to say amen to thy ways and to bow deeply at the cross and at the Father's right hand in thy presence, saying, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.